You remember back in the day when you would go to church and it would be like 100, 100 uh, degrees inside that church building and you had a tie on and your woman was gussied up with her best dress and the children were freshly washed, which meant that you dipped them in some, some water once a week. The night before you went to church, you'd tie your horse up outside and you'd go in there and the church service was like four hours long in the heat, and the preacher would yell at you about how you're all sinners and nobody knows if you're going to go to heaven or not, but darn it, you better get trying hard. And you'd sit there listening to that, and if you doze off, an usher would stab you with a little stick with a little <laughs> nail on the end of it. No, I'm telling the truth. The usher would poke you, if you're a man, with a stick with a nail on the end of it. You'd be bleeding through your little shirt. And if you were a woman, there was a feather on the end of the stick, and he'd tickle you awake, because that was, women apparently deserve to be tickled instead of stabbed. Don't take that out of context. That sounded really weird. And that was church. You know? Somebody would die and you'd stand around going, man, I don't know. I know of his sins and I know of his gifts. He was a good guy, but he was also a liar and a dirty, rotten cheat. But a good man, and we really miss him. Told good jokes. Still should return my shovel. I don't know why he hasn't returned my shovel. And then the preacher would stand there and try to tell you, nobody knows where he is. We don't know if he's in heaven or in hell because you can't know and you better get trying harder. If he could say one thing to us from the grave, it would be try harder. Whew. I got to admit, I like air conditioning and grace a lot. Like, whew, I can know that I'm going to heaven and be in the air conditioning and it's not sin. I can marry a beautiful woman and have lots of babies and eat fried chicken and none of that's sin. It's just fuel for gratitude. Amen? Come on. Yeah, I said fried chicken. What did I? Who's, who affirmed that? You should put that in the bylaws, fried chicken. I want to talk today about the fact that you have a soul. And some of us think, oh, I have a soul, so he's going to talk about heaven and hell. No. I want to talk about the, the, the implications for now that you have a soul. A lot of people want to talk about, you have a soul and it's going to live forever, so you better get ready. Well, that's true, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have a soul, so that means something today in terms of your responsibilities. A few years ago, my wife was sitting on the computer desk, or not on the computer desk, let me try that sentence again with proper, proper English. She's sitting at the computer. Whew. Not on the computer at it. Prepositions matter. And she just looked upset. So I did what I do when somebody looks upset. I ignore and I walk away. No, I don't. I go over and I, <laughs> and I ask, hey, babe, what's going on? Nothing. Well, it doesn't look like nothing. Looks like you're about to cry. I'm fine. Okay. You don't look fine. You know, if you're fine, you should tell your face. Right? I got the joy of the Lord. Oh, okay. The joy of the Lord's changed its meaning since I last checked the dictionary, but babe, what's wrong? Nothing. Come on. Talk to me. She said, it's stupid. What's stupid? How I feel is stupid. Okay. Why? I don't want to feel this way. 
I don't need to feel this way. It's inconvenient and it is stupid to feel this way. But babe, you do feel this way. Why though? It's so dumb. All right, talk to me. No, I don't even want to talk about it. Okay, babe. So let me explain what's going on to you. By the way, my wife just loves when I preach to her. She loves it. It's a joke. Do you ever get that? Where you preach at home and then you get told, uh, (laughs) sorry to pick on you. It's fun when there's preachers in the room. You You can just preach to the preachers. Don't use your preacher voice on me, Tim. <laughs> me? I, that, I didn't know that was my preacher voice. I thought, that they, I thought that was the I'm smart and I know how to help you voice. Oh, that's also annoying. Ah, okay, yes. So I said, babe, you have these feelings. You know why? And she's like, no, it's dumb. I said, no, no, no. You have a soul. You have a soul. Your soul... It's like, it's like you have a child living inside of you that you have to take care of. You can't just command the child around and ignore its feelings. I mean, you could. It's not going to work. You're just going to get detached from yourself, shove it down. But David argued with his soul. He reasoned with his soul. He knew how to figure out what his soul was feeling and express it, but not be ruled by it. You have a soul, friends. You're going to go through life. Life's going to drop kick you right in the stomach. But then what? Have we learned the skills required to bounce back? Have we learned the practices that can connect us to our loving God so that the hope we profess with our mouth makes a difference in our life? You have a soul. I said, babe, David... Learn how to preach to his soul, listen to his soul, give vent to it, give expression to his soul. He learned how to reason with, comfort, exhort. He talked to himself. I bet you modern people would look at David, some of his prayers. First off, it would be hard to turn some of his prayers into songs at church. I'm serious. Our songs are like, you're amazing, you're a miracle-working God, I trust you, you're incredible. David's like, he says that too, but he also says... Why aren't you keeping your promises? What happened? You used to answer prayer. Now you don't. Everything stinks, and I blame you personally, God, but I trust you. If you you prayed in church some of the things the Bible, God signs his authorization to by saying, yep, going to put it in my book right there. If you prayed in church that way, some people would look at you like, whoa, I'm concerned about you. Look, if you cut up with a human... If you cut open any one of us, there's all manner of stuff going on inside that ain't church broke. It's not acceptable for public consumption. But David prays it as worship. Because he has a soul and he knows he has a soul and he knows that he's got to like parent his soul, so to speak. In fact, one psalm he says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child, like a, like a baby that all it knew how to do was cry when it felt a, a need. And he's trained his soul how to feel the pain, feel the yearning, acknowledge the pain, but not be ruled by the pain. Because we, we live in a culture, friends, right now, what passes for spirituality is validating your soul 
and then just going with that. If you want it, it's valid. If you feel it, it's true. So what I'm not talking about is letting your soul run the show. I'm talking about acknowledging what your soul is feeling and thinking and then letting your spirit be in charge. Taking good care of your soul and stewarding it into the presence of God so that you can find expression and surrender and comfort so that you're actually a real person. Not a fake Christian pretending to be okay, not faking it till you make it, a real person in relationship with a God who's a big boy and who can handle your unbelief, your anger, your resentment, your temptation, your despair, your hopelessness, your depression, your fear. He can handle all that. A lot of us, and I've said this a lot in here so you know this, a lot of us avoid God when we're avoiding ourselves. Because we know the doorway to encountering God passes through an honest expression of the soul. Unless you're, really, unless you're really ready to get real, it's hard to encounter the Lord. And it, flip, it works in reverse, too. Any real encounter with the Lord will put you in, in touch with your soul, Amen. for good or for bad. This is why I think sometimes the beauty of the Lord elicits weeping. The goodness of the Lord and faith elicits a grief response coming out. Because how could all that be true with all that I've gone through? And so even the goodness and love of the Lord elicits a pain response as it encounters the reality of what has happened to me and what I have done and what I have witnessed and what I have lost. Friends, this is biblical faith. Biblical faith is not faking it till we make it. It's not confessing the truth alone. It's getting real and lining up so that we can confess the truth and not have it just be a slogan. This last week at, at, at my uncle's funeral, so some of you know, most of you know, I think, that I was gone this last weekend and then I had to take an emergency trip down to southern Indiana to go to my uncle Al's funeral because he was riding home on his motorcycle from playing basketball with his son and some guys at the church and he just got killed by a car. A dude, the dude was high. Ran a red light, it's all on video and just decimated him. So he's in heaven. And at the funeral, we were singing from Job, you give and take away, blessed be your name. And outside, I was chatting with the young man who read the scriptures, who was a close friend of the family. And he said, I had quoted, you give and take away, blessed be the name of the Lord to someone this week. And they, not this week, he said, I quoted that passage it's, it's a good passage. It's a true passage, right? God's good all the time. We're going to worship him in the hard times. We're going to worship him in the good times. We're not going to worship him based on how things are going on earth. We're going to worship him based on how things are going forever in the big picture. Amen. He's been good. Life's not always good, but he's been good, and he will be good. That's what Job is affirming. And he said that, he said, I quoted that to someone, and they they like rolled their eyes and acted like it was trite. But for me, it was a hard-won confession. It wasn't trite. It wasn't a slogan. It wasn't, it wasn't a way of avoiding acknowledging my pain. It was my conclusion after the struggle of acknowledging the pain and submitting to the goodness of God with the mystery of why would he allow this. Some people go further and say, why would he cause this? No. 
You hear me? It was interesting hearing different people's worldviews at the funeral. It was really interesting hearing different people's worldviews. And I can respect someone for having with a different view than me on how to try to, because your heart is so wanting to make sense of it. And sometimes we will credit God with doing things by filling in the blank of what we don't know, speculating, well, maybe God was thinking this. And that's why he allowed that. I would caution you with that. God looks just like Jesus. He looks just like Jesus. So don't put speculation. Well, maybe, maybe God saw this and decided to kill Uncle Al. He's a merciful father and I just trust him. That was a perspective I... You kind of pick things up. And I go, you know what? I really love the faith they're operating in. They're operating in extreme trust in God's goodness. I just feel like I have things a little bit more in the mystery box. I don't understand. I mean, I do understand what happened. Someone who was high ran a red light in a sinful fallen world that doesn't look like heaven yet because it's not heaven. And God's will is rarely done on planet Earth. Rarely. But I also know not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. See what I mean? I work this stuff out and I just leave stuff in the mystery box. Let's get back onto the sermon. So my friend and I were talking and he said, I quoted, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. And somebody thought it was trite. And I said, I find it interesting that that's the verse from Job we sing. What about the other 38 chapters where Job accuses God of wrong? And then God comes, and, and then the others are defending God. His friends are defending God's righteous. You must have deserved it. Three friends accusing Job and defending God. And God says, Job's in the right. Y'all are in the wrong. Man, one time this girl was sitting on the chair across from me, and she was so mad at God. She had a list of accusations. And I started to defend the goodness of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit rebuked me and said, don't you defend me. You're invalidating her pain, and it won't help her connect with me. You hear what I just said? Yes. I didn't say I had a thought. I didn't say I remembered a principle. I said the Holy Spirit stopped me short and rebuked me for defending God. Don't you invalidate her pain. You're going to keep her from being able to connect with me. You're like, when is he going to get to the Bible? In a minute, we're going to get to Psalm 42. In a minute. Be patient. Man, you guys are so hungry for the Bible. You're like, can you just get to the... I hear it. I can feel it. Give me Bible, Tim. No one cares about human opinion. I want the Lord's word. I, I, I hear you. So here's the principle. If someone's busted up and emotional and in a bad place and you want to encourage them, Here's how you can waste their time and yours and screw it all up. Amen. Argue against their feelings. That way all of your effort will be wasted, just like you're pouring it right on them like they're a duck and they're just right onto the ground. All your encouragement, all your truth, all your Bible verses, just waste, wasted. You can't fix people in the name of hope, of giving them hope. Trying to fix people is a surefire way to not help them at all. If I detect on you when I talk to you and, I'm in, and I take a risk and I'm vulnerable and I say, here's something I'm struggling with. 
Here's a doubt that is consuming some of my thoughts and making me very unhappy lately. If you punish my vulnerability by going, well, Tim, you know that's not the truth. Just quick like that. How likely is it that I'm going to leave your presence going, you know what, that is so, that was, I, that is so encouraging. I feel so encouraged. Now, I'm going to feel like you were looking down on me for not being as victorious as you, and then you judged me, and then you stooped down to try to lift me up to your spot. You're trying to fix me. In college, I wrote a song called Don't Try to Fix Me. Maybe I was made to be broken and loved. What's amazing is if you all do the three things, validate the feelings, comfort the hurt, then reframe with a different perspective. Suddenly, everything shifts. The same scriptures you were quoting before, they land. The same hope you were trying to bring me before, it lands because you entered in, you said, this is what it sounds like you're feeling. Man, I've been there too. And then you're empathizing and you're feeling it with me. You know what scripture says? You're supposed to actually hurt with people who hurt. We're supposed to rejoice with people who rejoice. We're supposed to hurt with people who hurt. Not as a way of sitting there with them and and taking on their despair. Of course not. As a way of connecting with them so that as we're now anchored into Jesus, we can help by anchoring properly to them. Now we can anchor to the Lord and now we can help pull them up and bring them some of the hope that we found in him. But you've got to actually enter in. Validate, comfort, then encourage. And guys, your soul is like a child that lives within you. I say child on purpose because the soul might understand all the intellectual stuff, but it doesn't care about that. It feels very simple stuff. So you get a new job and you move away. It makes perfect sense and I empathize with that. My soul says, why don't they love me enough to stay? But because I'm a smart man and I can understand exactly what their values were and priorities and why they made their decision, I then invalidate my feelings, stuff it down because I shouldn't feel this way. And my soul gets mistreated, essentially, like a child that's told, shut up, your feelings don't matter. Children should be what? Seen? Okay. Finish your vegetables and go make me a sandwich. I have no idea what that last part was about. If it was my house growing up, it would be, eat the zucchini, we've grown way too much of it. Now eat more. Mom, why do we have to eat zucchini? Why do you grow it if we don't like it? No one likes it. Be quiet. I'm making you a good person eventually. When you're old, you'll be a mean uh, dad and you'll be, it'll be good for you. Psalm 42. Listen to David. He's letting his soul, he's, he's letting his soul's pain find expression, but he's not letting his soul be in charge. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people continually say to me, where is your God? Can you you ever... 
pray this honestly? My tears. I long for you, God. Where are you, God? You're not here. My tears. Tear soup. In the morning, tear soup. In the evening, tear soup. At night, I wake up and it's tear soup again. I just want to meet with you. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Do you hear that? He's not stuffing his pain. He's not stuffing his tears. He's not dumping his tears in a big old huff of anger on the people around him. You ever done that? You just, you just deeply grieved and depressed, and instead of acknowledging it and expressing it in a healthy way to someone who cares more than anyone else, you won't acknowledge it, but it's dominated. Because you won't own it and express it, it's owning you. And so you dump it in anger on the people closest to you. Hey, you want to go to a thing? No! Leave me alone! I've been there. What's wrong with you? I don't know! I hate my life! You ever been there? It's not fun, is it? That's called dumping your tears. Or you can stuff your tears. What's wrong? Nothing! Just go to work. Just do what you should. And let your heart and your hopes and your dreams just die. Mm -hmm. yep. Just put them on the machines. Put them on the machines. Put the painkillers in. Anesthetize the soul. Throw yourself at meaningless stuff as a distraction and stuff your tears. Just stuff your tears. Your age, whatever, but you stopped really living 20 years earlier. I've done it. But this is not what David's doing. David's praying this stuff. Tear soup, God, I just want to meet with you. It's funny. He understands this yearning to really live. He interprets it as a yearning for God. As a young Christian, I made a really, really smart move. Some, one of the smartest things I ever did. I chose to interpret my loneliness, my despair, and my depression as my soul's longing for God. Instead of interpreting it as Oh, I'm just a mess. I guess there's no hope for me to be a believer. Sometimes we do that stuff. Sometimes we look at our temptations and our struggles and our pains and we, we use them as evidence that I stink. Instead of evidence for, for, for pointing to what matters to you. Did you know what you're stressed out about reveals what's important to you? Oh man, if I was a more faithful Christian, if I had stronger faith, I wouldn't feel this way. If I was a better believer, if I had a better prayer life, if I was more victorious, if I was more like Dan Moeller, I wouldn't struggle like this. Why are you so stressed out about that? I don't know, I guess it's my unbelief. No, 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 go deeper. You're stressed out about that because this is so important to you. Why are you so worried about your kids? Oh, I guess it's because I don't trust the Lord. Okay, maybe, maybe, but slow down. Maybe it's because your kids are so important to you and it matters to you so stinking much that they live well and thrive. Amen. Your stress reveals what you care about. Yes, that's right. And if you stand back and really look deep, just a couple layers deeper, you'll go, oh, so now I don't have to invalidate me on the basis of my troubled feelings. I can realize they're showing me something about what matters to me. And David knows, he goes, I'm... This is a longing for God. 
I want to meet with God. I want to see God. I want to know God. I want to hear God. I want to, I want to have that closeness. Where's the closeness? Instead, all I got is tear soup. Let me keep reading. Ah, oh, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. You go, oh my word, Tim, be careful. Don't just, don't talk about the glory days of the past. Be careful. Be careful. Keep your eyes on the future. You know what? It's not always wrong to cry about what you lost. I mean, you can't live there day and night, but come on, if you don't give it an expression, how are you going to acknowledge it? Amen. Own it. And then surrender it. How can you surrender things you won't even acknowledge? That's like the person who's like, I'm not bitter. Oh, the first step to forgiveness is expressing a lot of bitterness. And then handing that over to Jesus as the judge. And handing over your right to punish. You know this, right? And handing over your right to withhold love anymore. I love him, but I don't ever want to see him again. Okay. All right. Or maybe it's, I forgive him, but I'm so terrified I can't be around them. More work to be done, Father. If I'm still that scared, there's more work to be done, Father. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. It was so awesome. So awesome. But now all I have is tear soup. And then here's the real meat. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Now, see, he's not praying. He's not, he's not praying anymore. Who's he talking to now? He was talking to God, wasn't he? He's talking to his soul, his soul. You know what's a crazy thing when you do listening prayer and you ask God stuff? Sometimes he'll be like, ask your soul. At least that's something he's done with me. God, why do I feel this way? Ask your soul. Soul, what is wrong? What's the problem? Oof, what happened there? All of a sudden an emotion came bubbling up. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my help and my God. He's arguing with himself. And notice he doesn't know. He doesn't understand himself. He doesn't understand his pain. He doesn't understand his confusion. He doesn't know. Why? Why? God is so good. God is so faithful. You know this. How come you feel this way? That's helpful, isn't it? He's not saying, if I had more faith, I wouldn't feel this way. So I'm going to hide it from church because these people are faithful people. These are miracle people. These are prayer chain, stand in the gap. Thousand of us is going to put a million of them to flight people. These are every place your footsteps, I've given it to you. This is you're going to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it, people. That's who these people are. So I ain't going to be honest with them about nothing I'm struggling with. Because they're going to fix me. One thing I love about us in here, if I tell you something that hurts on my body, you will pray for me, and then you will also give me medical advice. I'm not even kidding. It's fun. And it won't agree with everyone else in the room's medical advice. I interpret that as you caring about me. 
And sometimes I do what you say even if I have to drink vinegar. <laughs> Sue Chup made me drink vinegar. All I'm saying. But when, I don't mind when we're talking about bodies, but I'm telling you, but I'll be honest. Sometimes that aggressive help, we're, we're a little too quick maybe to help fix each other. Believe this, say this, do this, don't think that, think this, don't say that, say this. Just five, mix, five minutes of sitting with the pain with the person and validating it and saying a little bit of me too. Come on. Can you find any me too in there? I also have doubted. You know what doesn't make any sense to me? This is what I said to the Lord the other day. Processing Uncle Al and Eric Byler and, and then much smaller pains like, where's my cat Boomer? And then big ones like Tim Freed. This is what I said to the Lord the other day. I know, right? Just going to say his name and already, just all the emotion. I said, Lord, I'm going to be very honest with you right here, okay? Just brace yourselves. Truth is coming. I said, Lord, I sure hope all this stuff is true. Because I, I got a lot of eggs in this basket. And it felt so wrong to say that. How can I say that at the, on the same day that I thank him the first thing in the morning for... Thank you so much for heaven. Thank you. I'm going to heaven and I'm not going to hell. I was going to do this forever and now I'm going to do this forever and it's all. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you that I'm going to walk with you in streets of gold. Thank you so much. There's a place you prepared for me and you said it's finished. How can I say this? Lord, I sure hope all this is even true. So I got a lot of eggs in this basket. How, how can I be a believer and give voice to a doubt on the same day? Friend, we're not just one thing. When you were an unbeliever, didn't you have doubts about your unbelief? Didn't you suspect that possibly it's wrong and maybe there is a God? And then when you crossed the line over into faith, did you suddenly, like a light switch, suddenly go from doubts over here to complete faith and no questions and all levels of certainty? I didn't. I'm a combination of a lot of things at the same time. And what if faith is not certainty but keeping covenant with the God who has committed to me and I'm committed to him and stewarding my doubts is how to be faithful. So I've been praying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he said back, Thomas, the thing he said to Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen which is his way of saying the reward is going to be great. The reward, and if the reward's going to be great, it's an acknowledgement that it's hard to live with doubts, unanswered questions and uncertainties. It's hard. It takes a sacrifice. It takes some work. It takes some... And he, he validates that. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? He doesn't understand, but he doesn't identify, I am totality of my soul. If I have these feelings, then I guess I don't have faith. No. No. I have faith. And I'm dealing with. I've gone on a very long time now, and I am going to try to finish. So four things that he does. I didn't even finish reading the passage. You can read it. And read Psalm 43, because Psalm 43 is its partner and has the exact same chunk in that too. 
Why are you so downcast? Why so disquieted? Put your hope in God. Amen. So we're not going to fake it till we make it. Because you can, sometimes you can fake it until it breaks you. That's not what we're doing here. We're not going to do the modern, the modern spirituality thing of validating our feelings so much that if we want it, who cares about your marriage vows? I want to marry that person instead now. I can do what I want. My soul is valid. Oprah told me so. If you want it, it must be okay. And if you don't believe it, it's fine. And we're going to let the soul be in charge in the name of spirituality. That's very modern. So much grace that there's like no truth. No, we're, we're people who believe in doctrine over experience, don't we? If I feel something that the Lord says isn't right, like, give me, let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, God says, don't, don't go to false prophets who consult the dead and don't go to prophets who speak and tell you, hey, you should worship and serve other gods. In fact, what he says, you remember what he says? Kill that false prophet. It said that. It really did. And you know what that's teaching us? Doctrine over experience. If some prophet says, I had a dream, I had a vision, I feel like this, I feel like that, shut up. That's not what the Bible says. And even your own soul, why are you saying this? You know his goodness, you know he's raised, you know what he's promised, you know who he's been in your life. Doctrine over experience. Truth over feelings. But we're not just like stuffing our feelings down. Are you with me? Yeah. Am I making sense today? Yeah. So, four things from this passage. Number one, he doesn't understand what he feels. Wow, praise God for that. You ever been there, show of hands? You don't understand what you feel? Yeah. And you don't understand why? Yes, join the club. We're biblical. Good. Yeah. Number two, he gives it a voice. Now, that's where it's challenging. Tony Gaiman wrote a beautiful post grieving six-year anniversary of losing her little girl. She needed a heart transplant. Anyway, it's a story. It's a big deal. So online, she was, cel she was celebrating. Yeah, she was celebrating Saya's life, but grieving, and grieving really honestly. So she and I started texting uh, afterward, and, and man, Tony's incredible. So, inc so brave, so honest. You know, because sometimes when you're going through something that painful, you don't want to share it with the general public because you don't want to give everyone else a bad day. And then you're also not sure if they're going to care enough to be worth. Because these are sacred things. These are pearls. And you don't want to just cast them out to the Facebook swine. Big smile, everyone. You know what I mean? Oh, that's too bad. Sad care. Okay. Anyway, what's for dinner? That's the feeling. So I texted her and was like, man, that was... You're really helpful. You're like, th this is very helpful. You're very eloquent and you're very honest. And she's like, lament, Tim. We don't know how to lament. I said, well, lament requires us to first of all acknowledge our pain and then actually give it a voice. And that takes incredible courage. Courage that most of us, I don't think, have yet developed. Courage. It takes courage to lament. So, number one, David doesn't understand what he feels. Number two, he feels it and he gives it a voice. Number three, he argues with his soul. He counsels his soul. He gives feedback to his soul. He interacts with his soul, which is super helpful.
You're more than just your soul. You're more than your body. You're a, you're a whole person who has a body, a soul, and a spirit. But because you're more than a soul, you can be led by your spirit in union with the Holy Spirit, which means you have a rudder. You have a rudder to steer. You're not ruled, you don't have to be ruled by your feelings. You don't have to be ruled by how life's going. You can bounce back. You can reconnect with the Father and He can sustain you because those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. There's a way, there's a way with the troubles and like I said at the beginning, life drop kicking you right in the stomach. There's a way to fall on God instead of fall away. Maturity, maturity is the ability to return to joy. Yes. Yes, That's what it is. Yes, it is. Maturity is the ability to return to joy. Yes. Immature people don't know how. No. Maybe we need someone to help teach us. It doesn't all have to be you by yourself. Maybe you find some mature people who know how to return to joy, who know how to suffer and not let it eat their lunch long term. They're not bulletproof. You cut them open and they bleed. They're not 100% light bulb on, faith, only faith. But they're on the path. And they're growing younger day by day. I said four things. I didn't say them. First, he, he doesn't understand what he feels. He feels that he gives it a voice, number two. And number three, he counsels and exhorts and pleads with his own soul. Preach to your soul. Preach to your soul. Talk with your soul. Tell it the truth. And number four, he ultimately does this in surrender to God. Ultimately, he's already chosen his course. She's, she's chosen her course. I'm going to serve God in my one life. I've already planted my flag. I'm, I'm here for the long haul. I'm here to finish well. I'm here to love well. So that after I'm done, they'll be standing around my grave giving testimonies. Giving testimonies. Not just tisk, tisk. It's such a shame. Maybe they'll do a little of that. Maybe. Who knows? But hopefully, if I run well, if I live well, if I steward my heart in the presence of God well, if I know how to manage my soul, I'll bear fruit. And that fruit will last and it'll lead to people standing around my grave giving testimonies. And then they'll go back in the church and eat potato salad. Yes. 